Welcome to Exposing the Bible Podcast, where we are teaching the whole counsel of Scripture. to the king and worship him and walk with him for eternity. A glorious reality that awaits us. As we've been traveling through the book of Colossians, Paul has been encouraging them. And as we looked at last week, he gives this great encouragement to not go to the philosophy that is being taught around them. Don't go back to it. You can just hear the pastor's heart. Don't go. Why? Because then you become one who is in the enemy's camp. He is seeking to bring unity to them through the gospel. Remember the gospel, he says. Remember the precious work of Christ. Stand firm with one another, not arguing, not having divisions. Why? Because there's an enemy out there that will come in if you let it. And so Paul, last week we looked at chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And he gives that command, see to it that no one takes you captive. And I pray, and I, my prayer this week for us was I hope that we were not taken captive. That we were not taken captive by different philosophies of the world that would desire us to walk away from Christ. The wonderful, loving Savior. The goodness of God, the cross that looms large over history. The loving Lord. And now in our verses today, chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, Paul is going to deal with two covenant signs. Circumcision and baptism. But he's going to use them in a metaphorical way. Trying to draw something out. Trying to draw out the reality that there is a spiritual lens by which the Colossians were meant to look at. And it's only rooted in who? Christ. Only in Christ. And one of the things that I've loved about the book of Colossians is that we've gone through it. And I've shared this previously, that as I was praying, God, why Colossians? Why the book of Colossians for us? Christ supreme. He is preeminent over everything. Preeminent over this church. Preeminent over our lives. He governs the way in which we rule. He governs the way in which we live. And if he does not govern us as the head, we then don't have life. And so we ask the questions of ourselves. Does Christ have supremacy? And it's one thing to ask that practically, right? God, do you really have supremacy of my life? Every day, every moment, are you supreme? And I think we can all answer with a, a resounding yes at times. Of course, Christ is supreme. He has my heart captured. And I love him so much because of how much he loves me. And then there's times when it's a resounding no. 
that I've given way to sin. I know there are times when I, I sing the words that we have up on the screen to give it all to Christ. And then the Spirit provokes, but do you really give it all to me? And then I can't sing it personally. Why? Because I look back at the week and go, that's not been my desire. My desire this week has not been giving it all to Jesus. My desire has been apathy, laziness, slothfulness, sin. And so the Spirit convicts as the words are sung in worship. Why? Because the words that we sing are from the Word. And so the Word reverberates through worship. And as we come here, we see that we are continually in Christ. And so as we looked at last week, Paul gives that command, don't go captive, don't go back, but then he roots it back in something. Christ. Rooting it in Christ. And so he starts off in verse 11, in him also you were circumcised. It's that past tense were. With a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And so Paul, it seems at a place that Paul would grab circumcision. He's not grabbed anything like this yet in the book of Colossians. And so he grabs circumcision, which was an Old Testament sign. It was the sign of the covenant, that you are a part of the covenant family. And boys on the eighth day, they would have their fourth skin cut off as a sign of covenant, that you are in the covenant family of God. And so he pulls this. And he brings it in. And what is so interesting in the Old Testament is that circumcision was often used, obviously as the physical aspect, but at times it was used as a metaphor. Deuteronomy 10, verse 16. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. So it's being used sometimes as a metaphor. And this is what Paul is grabbing. The circumcision of the heart. That you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. And another way of saying that is made with the Spirit. Made by the Spirit. So it's not done by humanity. It's done by the Spirit of God. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Obviously, this is not talking about the eighth day of Jesus' life, where Jesus was circumcised in the flesh. It's talking about the cross. The cross where his flesh, his body, was killed. And so right here, Paul says, in him, speaking spiritually, you were there. In Christ, you were there. Christ so perfectly, in his crucifixion, represented his people. It's as if you were spiritually there 2,000 years ago. And so he's telling them, you're not spectators. 
You're not just spectators sitting back looking at the cross. But in Christ, he presented you in his death. And so as we look at this passage, he first starts out with the crucifixion, the death of Christ. In him you were circumcised. You died in that moment. The sin was atoned for. Spiritually, it flushed itself out thousands of years later. But spiritually, you were in Christ. And so Paul is calling us and calling the Colossians to look not just with physical eyes, but to look with spiritual eyes. To look at the great cross where we died. Let us read Matthew 27 so that we can see what this is talking about. Matthew 27, 45 through 50. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemesabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with a sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other says, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come down to save him. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And when we read that, you can just feel the drama. Sense the pain and the suffering of Christ at the crucifixion. Where he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Calling out Psalm 22. And then he cries out, ah! And then he yields up the spirit. Paul wants the Colossians to feel that moment. Why? Because at the death of Christ, you were in him. You, had this, you were spiritually there. He took the suffering on our behalf as we were in him. And so Paul is saying, put yourself there. And brother and sister, today, let us go back 2,000 years and put ourselves in the moment. Not narcissistically, but spiritually. In him, we were there. So you can just feel the weight of the death of Christ. Where mom watches, where the apostle John watches, a mother watching her son die, John watching his beloved friend, Rabbi Christ, murdered. 
were the two criminals on either side, both at first blaspheming Christ as a criminal. And then one has repentance. Have we done wrong? Yes. But what has he done? What has the man on the middle cross done? Forgive me. Jesus' response is what? Today you will be with me in paradise. I can just imagine the moment that that criminal died. Drawn up to the presence of God himself. Did he understand the doctrines of justification? No. Did he understand the doctrines of the last things? No. His pleading before the throne was, the man in the middle said, I can come. So here I am. He saved me. So Paul draws the Colossians back. In him, you're there. And then in verse 12, he says then, having been buried with him in baptism. Baptism, obviously, in the New Testament is a sign that we are in covenant with God. That we are sealed. And next week we are going to baptize my, our four children. And it will be a glorious, wonderful event where we recognize and celebrate Christ's work in their life. And so with baptism, it obviously is a physical act. But there's also ways in which baptism is talked about other than just the physical act of sprinkling or immersion in Scripture. Mark chapter 10, verse 38. Jesus said to them, he's speaking to the, the apostles and said, Hey, in glory, I'd love to be on your right. And I would love to be on your left to have authority. What do they want? They want the blessings that come with authority. But Jesus' response to them in Mark 10, 38, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Speaking of his crucifixion. Or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. It's obviously not referring to when John the Baptist baptism. He is going to be overwhelmed, engulfed, flooded at the crucifixion and then in the tomb. Paul here is drawing this out for the Colossians. And this is being drawn out to us. In Christ, we were in at the crucifixion. And in him, we were in the tomb. Spiritually. And so Paul again is saying, we're not merely spectators. We're in him. But then at the end of 12, 
we get to the glorious day. As Christ was crucified and he was in the tomb, we can just imagine what the disciples were feeling. We come to Friday and we call that what? Good Friday. But I can just imagine if I was one of those 12 disciples, it probably was not good. Jesus is gone. The one that we've given our life to, the one that we thought was the Christ, he's dead. He's in a tomb. What do we do? They go back to their old way of living. Go back to being fishermen. They go back to the old ways of what they had lived. But in verse 12 here, Paul also says, In which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So not only were you in him in the crucifixion, not only were you in him in the overwhelming, engulfing, emerging flood of the tomb, but you were in him when he was raised to life. Praise God for that. In the resurrection. Matthew 28, 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The tomb empty. Glorious day. An angel causing hardened Roman soldiers to fall over dead. He's not here. Go look. It's empty. They go, they see Jesus. Jesus says, go tell them, I've risen. You can just imagine the disciples. Guys, he's risen. He's risen indeed. What? And we know the story from other gospel narratives. Peter and John run. They run to the tomb. John, a little younger, gets there quicker. And John waits, and they walk in, and they see what? The flat place where Jesus laid. Nobody. 
just the shroud. The shock, the awe, and they probably go back. Jesus has risen, and the story gets out. Christ has rose from the dead, sin forgiven, in him only. And so in this passage, as Paul has just said in the previous few verses, don't go back. Warning, hazard, nuclear spiritual bomb. Don't go to the enemy camp. If you do, it's dangerous. You've given yourself over to Satan. He follows that up with, remember you're in him. And not only are you in him in this moment, Colossians, you were spiritually in him at the cross. You were spiritually in him in the tomb. And you were spiritually in him when he rose from the dead. And Ephesians 2 verse 6 says what? You are spiritually in him as he rules as session over the world. We are in him now as he reigns and rules over the universe. And one day... We will be in him as the great white throne is before us. And oh, what joy that we will stand in him. Where he presents us, and God, thank you that we will stand behind him. We will not stand off to the side of him to say, I've done it on my own. We'll stand behind him in him as the Father looks out. Why should they be let in? And Jesus says, they're in me. They're mine. They're the elect. They're the ones who were in me at the crucifixion. They were in me in the tomb. They were in me at the resurrection. They've been in me as I've been ruling. And now as I present them to you, they are still in me. And after that moment, we will walk in him to eternity where the Lamb's light and glory shines everything. No darkness, no sin, and we will still be in him. Romans chapter 6. Paul writes something very similar to this passage. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So Paul is saying in Colossians, the resurrection spiritually, it's already happened. It's already done. What he's saying here in Romans? Oh, that day. The glorious day in the future when it happens physically, you're going to be united with him there. Continuing in Romans, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead, we will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him, which means that has, dominion has no longer over us. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. How? In Christ Jesus. As we live in 2023, how do we live? No other way but in who? In 
him. And so as we look at these two verses, we are united with Christ in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. Our lives, as Paul has been painting this masterful picture in Colossians, is nothing but supremacy in him. So how are we doing that today? Do we practically live in him? Do we wake up? Is the framework of Colossians to our day that we can wake up tomorrow and the first thing we think of is painting the picture of us at the cross. Oh Christ, we were in you spiritually. Thinking about the tomb. Oh Christ, we were with you in the tomb. And then at the resurrection. Oh glorious day in Christ, we were there. As the disciples realize sin dead. Christ living. And so he is risen. Risen indeed. As we think about our lives, growing up, I loved playing baseball. Started a t-ball, played all the way through high school. Was good enough to do well in high school, but I am no giant, if you have noticed. I am no six-footer. I am five, seven, and a half. And as I went to the doctor this week, they re, you know, measured me, and I just told the practitioner, I'm still waiting for that promise, growth spurt. So I am hopeful that one day I might just bump up to six feet. It's probably not happening. But I remember growing up, and growing up, and you'll forgive me for this sin, I was a Yankees fan. So growing up watching the Yankees play, those are the good days of the Yankees as we fought against the Atlanta Braves. And growing up, I played second base. I love playing second base. The ball rarely got hit to me, and I had to throw 15 feet. So I love playing that position. So growing up as a Yankees fan, I loved Chuck Knobloch. And then as the Yankees continued to evolve, Alfonso Soriano. And so I wanted to be like them. So badly. Wanted to be like them. And then I realized how much work they put in. And then I thought, eh, maybe like one of the lesser known second basemen in the league. I might be able to shoot for there. And then I found out how much work they put in. And I really wanted to be a professional athlete, but I did not want to put the work in. I just did not want to do it. And I'm also five foot seven, so there was, there was that going against me too. And I'm sure we have these moments in life when you were younger, when you can think about that. Well, you wanted to be like someone. So you practiced, tried to be it over and over and over again. And for some of you, it may have worked out. But for most of us, it didn't. In our spiritual lives, we so badly want the riches of heaven. Want those riches. The riches that we know will be lavished upon us. And so, I think for some of us, we so badly, before salvation, we tried to work our way to that. I just so badly want to work my way to get those riches. 
and no amount of practice, no amount of discipline would have ever have gotten us those riches. Why? In Him. And so when we stand before the throne, it's not, God, look at how much I almost got to it. I practiced so hard. I tried my hardest. I did this. We stand before Jesus. We stand behind him, and we just plead, it's in him, in him, in him. And so we don't need to worry about the works. Why? Because salvation is in him. And then we're called to continually live in him. And so tomorrow I pray that when you wake up, the portrait and painting of the crucifixion is before you. Christ on the old rugged cross. Between the two criminals. Crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We are in him. Because in him, that's where he paid it all. Where sin was taken away. Crimson blood. Sin made white as wool by the cross of Christ. And so even tomorrow in this afternoon, may that be our assurance. It's in him. It's in him. It's in the crucifixion, in the burial, in the resurrection, in the ascension, in his session. And we reign with him in him now, looking forward to the great day when we are in him, presented fully blameless. Let us pray. God, we are so thankful that we are in Him. What a treasure that does not compare to anything else in the world. No amount of riches touches it. No amount of experiences touch this. In Christ, you have lavished, not just given, but lavished great grace upon us. And we look to the wonderful, glorious cross that looms large over all of history. And we don't look at it scoffingly. We don't look at it in pride. We look at it as humble children knowing the love and grace that pours out, that we could never do it on our own. God, help us to remember, help us to cherish. We are always in.